You're listening to Niners Sports Talk. I'm your host, Sam Perry, joined today by Niner Times staff writer, uh, Mason Curtis. Mason, thanks for coming on today. Yeah, man, no problem. I'm happy to be here. Um, Today we're going to talk about Charlotte's men's and women's basketball. We're the big focus on the Duke game. You know, that's coming up this weekend. Then we'll transition a little bit to professional sports with Charlotte Hornets and the Carolina Panthers. So, Mason, um, what have you seen so far this season from the women's basketball team? Uh, obviously, overall record of uh, 5-4 and four, heading into their next matchup against Wake Forest. And uh, they were on a four-game winning streak going into their away stint after a home victory against Mercer. And, you know, they had three players in double figures, Deja Lawrence with 22 against the Bears. And, you know, last game in their first road game of the stretch, they fell 49-57 against VCU. And, you know, they started off hot. They were up 12-9 in the first quarter, playing good defense, not really letting any open shots to that bare offense. But, you know, VCU opened up the second with a 13-3 run, and they were, you know, found themselves up at half, 27-23. And looking at the second half, I mean, Charlotte, they played a good game defensively, but, you know, neither team could really get things going offensively. And uh, just to recap it a little, uh, five minutes left in the fourth quarter. Lawrence, you know, cut Charlotte's deficit to five. But VCU held on to their lead, ended up winning the game. And, I mean, this team's look good. I mean, I really like J.C. Busick. She's a great facilitator of this Niner offense. And back on November 10th in their matchup against Tennessee State, she almost had a triple-double, eight points, 11 rebounds, seven assists. Might have been the first triple-double in Charlotte women's history. And, I mean, Houston, I really like Tracy, too. She's been a force inside the paint. She's averaging over 10 a game. I really like this Charlotte offense, and I think they've been looking stout on defense as well. Yeah, Coach Kara Consuega talked about Houston. Their big thing there is keeping her out of foul trouble because when she's be able to stay in the game, she's been a real force to be reckoned with inside. But, you know, defense this year, they seem more prepared early in the year because that's a big thing with their program. What do you hope to see offensively? Because they've had some of their struggles. What do you think needs to click and get working for them to be able to stay in these close games and make sure they win the ones they're supposed to win? I think at the end of the day, it's a team game. I know you have, you know, big-time scorers like Deja Lawrence and Tracy Houston, but I think this team really plays best when Busick has the ball and she's setting up the offense and running it, you know, not through her scoring-wise, but through her, you know, facilitating-wise. And finding her open teammates, driving in, kicking out. You really need to penetrate the ball and look for the open shot, stay aggressive on offense. And I think that's where this offense does thrive. I think they just need to sit back, let J.C. facilitate, and then, you know, those big-time scorers like Lawrence and Houston, she's going to find them open, and they're going to get things rolling and gain momentum, and I think that's how they should run this offense from here on out. Um, This weekend they travel up to Winston-Salem to take on in-state opponent um wake forest what do you hope to see from that game you know they haven't beat them since 2019 2020 season what do you think it's going to take for them to beat the demon deacons i think it's going to take a smart offensive game plan you know good assist to turnover ratio i think you got to take care of the ball limit fast break opportunities from this deacon offense and the deacons you know they're a good opponent and i'm i'm hoping for a win but i think we have to play solid offense get back on defense and make sure we limit those inside opportunities and open outside looks. You don't just want to give up open threes just because you're so focused on cutting out the inside scoring. Um, They play the Demon Deacons tonight at 6 p.m., and that will be their last game until they go to Charleston Southern on Monday, December 18th. So the team gets a nice big break this holiday season with exams. 
But um, transitioning to men's basketball, they got a big in-state opponent this weekend. As Charlotte men's basketball goes to Durham to take on one of college basketball's blue blood programs, the Duke Blue Devils. They're going to be taking them on on Saturday, December 9th at 2.15. That will be televised on the CW. Um, Mason, I know you're a big fan of Duke basketball. You followed them your, most of your life. Uh, so what can you tell us about the team? Like, What's their biggest weakness that Charlotte might be able to exploit this season? I think one of their weaknesses, honestly, is – who their leading scorer is. You know, Filipowski does lead the team in scoring, but I think they have so many high, highly talented players that, you know, sometimes it could be Jeremy Roach's night or Tyrese Proctor's night or Jared McCain's night or Filipowski's night. I think if they could, you know, settle into an offense that they're comfortable with and not just, you know, focus on one or two players scoring majority of the points, I think that they could be a really successful team. And, you know, coming off two straight losses, their last one to Georgia Tech and before that to Arkansas, both within five points, I think Duke's out for blood this game. I think they're looking to make a statement with this Charlotte team. And, you know, it could be bad, but I also think they're in a vulnerable place right now. And Charlotte, after playing so good against Stetson last night, I think Charlotte actually has a shot. And, you know, Duke has four players that, you know, they're averaging over double-digit scoring and, they have four other players that shoot above a 40% clip from beyond the arc. So it's going to be hard for Charlotte to keep up, you know, offensively and defensively. But as we've seen this year, you know, Charlotte only allows 62 points to their opponents. So I think Duke is in for a tougher defensive matchup than they might think. Yeah, I think when you look at Charlotte's men's team, Coach Fern is really preaching them playing every minute of every game as hard as possible. How do you think that – extra intensity they've practiced every minute of these games leading into this matchup pay dividends into this game I think it'll be super beneficial I mean we saw last night Charlotte was up 20 plus points against Stetson and he still wasn't quite satisfied with their performance they were being kind of loose with the ball turning it over kind of in bad spots and he wasn't too happy with that you know he wants more discipline out there and you know they played a good game against Davidson in the Battle of the Hornet's Nest. They came up a little bit short. And, you know, I don't want to say they handed that game away, but they started on an 11-0 run. And then, you know, 30 points from David Skogman and, you know, 11 assists from their point guard, Grant Huffman. That's what led the Wildcats to victory. And I think that was a tough loss for Charlotte. But they really bounced back in that Stetson victory. You know, most points scored this season so far, winning 85-62, to you know. Four players in double figures, career high in scoring for Deshaun Jackson, and a career high night in assists for Lukai Patterson, which is the team's leading scorer. You know, I think his unselfish play and his ability to facilitate the ball last night, I think that's what they need in this Duke game coming up. I think they need their point guard to really take a step back maybe from the scoring and find his open teammates. And, you know, last night they also had 32 bench points. You know, Braswell, who's battled with injuries his whole career, he had 15 points on a perfect 4-for-4 four four from the field. And, you know, Dean uh, Ryber also had 10 points, 4-for-4 four, uh, four four from the field as well. And, I mean, 32 bench points and, you know, 38 points in the paint last night. I think that this is exactly what Charlotte needed going into this weekend against a high-octane Duke team who, you know, is putting up 81 points a game. And, you know, they have a guy like Kyle Filipowski who's averaging around 19 points and, 
over a block per game. So I think Charlotte's really going to have to be on their A game to compete against this ACC opponent. Yeah, you mentioned this a little bit, the Hornets' nest game against Davidson. That's a big game every year. We haven't talked about what happened in that game until today, but, you know, that was a close game. They felt like they should have won. They kind of feel like they gave it away. You touched on that. How big is that crosstown rival defeat? How is that going to motivate them moving forward? How do you think they'll carry what went wrong in that game into this game this weekend? And if they could put up a big statement win against a nationally ranked Duke team, That'll be something they'll talk about for years. You know, football's first Power 5 win came against Duke. What would that do for the program? What would that do for the fan base if they can pull that off this weekend? Well, first touching on the fan base, I think it would be huge. I mean, we've obviously had a pretty good turnout at our home games this season so far, but if we beat Duke, I think that would skyrocket our fan base here at Charlotte. I mean, that's not something you play around with. Duke is a, you know, they're a team that's made huge Final Four runs, won multiple uh, NCAA tournaments, you know, this is a team that's a force to be reckoned with every year, A, because of their their coaching, and B, because of how well they're able to recruit with the reputation that Duke basketball brings. So I think beating an opponent like Duke, it, it would be huge for the program, and I think it would give our team a ton of momentum heading into conference play. I mean, we have FAU to deal with, Memphis to deal with, and both those teams look super sharp going into the conference play this year. I mean, FAU just had a tough matchup last night against Illinois, and uh, Memphis has been looking great. I've seen a lot of highlight plays from some of their guards this year, super uber athletic team, and I think winning against Duke could really thwart Charlotte into where we need to be going into conference play. You know, as you look at Charlotte's team this year, is there a certain player you think needs to step up that you're expecting a little more from? What player would you say would be the X factor in this game this weekend? If I could see more out of a single player, I would I would have to say Jackson Threadgill. He's great on the defensive end of the floor, but I haven't really seen him stand out offensively yet this year, and I don't know if that's part of their game plan, if he's more of you know a facilitator, which I think he's a great three-point shooter, and if they could find some more open looks for him or get him more involved in the offense, I think that could be a big factor against – you know, this this Duke squad, Duke's more of a guard-heavy team this year. I mean, Tyrese Proctor may be out with the, uh, this game with an apparent leg injury that he uh, suffered in the Georgia Tech game. But, you know, their typical starting lineup is, you know, Jared McCain, the number two guard out of high school last year. And then at two, they usually play Jeremy Roach and then Proctor. And then we've seen Mark Mitchell at the four, but it's also been kind of interchangeable for the four position at Duke this year. And then at the five, you're always going to have to deal with Kyle Filipowski, and he's an absolute paint beast. And, I mean, he's a beast on both ends of the floor. He plays great defense. I mean, this seven-foot-plus frame, he knows how to really operate inside the painted area. He's got a lot of good post moves. I mean, it's it's going to be tough, but I think Threadgill needs to step up. I haven't seen too much out of him, but I also think Deshaun uh, Jackson's going to be a big factor. You know, he's one of Charlotte's – key inside scorers. He's their true big man on this squad, and I think he needs to play a you know, really physical game and kind of knock Duke in the mouth from the start, set the tempo, and you know, just play all-out physical basketball. It's got to be a fight, and we've really got to want it if we're going to beat the Blue Devils. Should make a good matchup this weekend. It looks like two very hungry teams. Charlotte trying to bounce back from the crosstown loss to Davidson. 
Duke, they started the season ranked number two in the nation. They've fallen to 22, looking to bounce back to hungry teams. Should make for a very good matchup this Saturday evening. Now, before we get into professional sports, there's some big news in college football this week. That's to another ACC team. The committee selected their teams, and they left out undefeated Florida State. What do you make of that move, and do you think that was the right decision? I wouldn't necessarily say it's the right decision. I think the committee took into account who are the four best schools we can put into this playoff and what four schools are going to bring us the most money. That's, those are the two questions they had in mind when picking these four schools. And I know a lot of people don't like Alabama in there, but the one point I'll make about FSU, I don't agree with this necessarily, but with Jordan Travis being hurt, they, I think the committee is scared of you know, putting Florida State in this playoff and if they had to play Michigan, I mean, they just don't want to see a repeat of last year where TCU got absolutely scorched by Georgia. They don't want to see that. They don't want to put Florida State in that position. You know, it's kind of Florida State's kind of ending their season on a high. Hey, we had a great year. Jordan Travis is a freaking great quarterback. But I think they did kind of get left out of the conversation. I think it was kind of disrespectful. But at the end of the day, you got to put the four best teams in the playoff, and it, it, it can be a money grab. So if, if you want to think of it as a money grab, 100%. That's why Florida State's not in there, but I don't think that's the sole reason behind Florida State getting left out of this college playoff. You could almost make a case that one of the four best teams that isn't Florida State also got left out in Georgia, and they both get to play each other. What does that do? Not trying to let Florida State get blown out in the playoffs, but then you – Pair them up with a team who lost one game the last two seasons by three points. What do you see from that? What do you hope to see in the Orange Bowl from Florida State and Georgia? I hope it's a competitive game. I I worry that Georgia is going to run all over Florida State. Maybe not. You know, Florida State's defense is great, so maybe they can hold Georgia to a lower scoring game than Georgia typically has with their offense. However, with Florida State – and, you know, Jordan Travis being out, I'm, I worry for that Florida State offense. I mean, Keon Coleman, he's one of my favorite receivers in college football right now, but he doesn't have his quarterback. And, you know, that was the duo that we loved watching all season, but that duo's not there anymore. So that being said, my biggest concern is that Georgia might run all over Florida State in the Orange Bowl. And then looking at the college football playoffs, you got Michigan versus Alabama. You know, last season, Michigan made the playoff they looked horrible in that first round they did what they're scared Florida State would do and that's a matchup I think if you're Michigan did you see the reaction video they had to the announcement of who they're playing they did not seem very prepared they looked like they were already defeated before they even stepped on the football field but then you got Washington versus Texas how poetic would it be in Washington from the Pac-12 which I personally feel the Pac-12 has been getting disrespected in football for years I think they've got a lot better teams around. They beat each other up. That's why the records aren't normally as pretty. How poetic would it be the last year of Pac-12 if Washington can pull out and win the national championship? What do you hope to see in those two matchups? Who do you think will win the national championship? So I, I hate to say it, but I was doing some research on this, and I, I once again see that Alabama's the favorite to win it all. You know, pretty sure they're the lowest-seeded team going in there, going up against Michigan. And they're still favorited to beat Michigan, I think, by more than a score. 
And then if they get matched up against Washington, which was the prediction, they're predicted to beat them by a score or more. And I think that's – I don't think that's necessarily crazy. Alabama's always been a great school, and I think they are deserving of a spot in the playoff. No matter what the debate is, they're a great team, and they have one of the greatest coaches of all time in, I mean, college football history. So, I mean, my prediction – I don't want to side with that. I hope Michigan can pull it out against Alabama and we see maybe Michigan and Washington in that final. But if I want to be realistic, I could see Alabama winning it all. You know, I, I their reaction video to me, they, they look more locked in than ever. They look like they were disrespected even though they got a spot in there. It's like they always carry that chip on their shoulder. You know, it's Alabama football, roll tide, you know. And when it's like that, I'm scared of that team too if I was Michigan or Washington. And I hate to say it, but I, I do think Alabama's going to win it all. Personally, I hope that doesn't happen. I'm kind of tired of seeing that in life. But as a person who comes from a family of Ohio State fans, I also don't want Michigan to win it all. But don't don't tell Coach Biff that I said that. But um, the one more bowl game I want us to look at before we move on to professional sports is the famous Toastry Bowl, which this year's where Charlotte's hosting the Bahama Bowl and renamed that. Um, two former Conference USA opponents from Charlotte, I mean, playing at Jerry Richardson Stadium, the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers and the Old Dominion Monarchs. What do you expect to see in that game? You know, every year Western Kentucky always seems to produce a really high-powered offense. And so what do you hope to look for in that game? I think both teams have a great offense, and I also think both teams have a great defense. I think it could really go either way. I think it could be a shootout or it could be kind of a stout defensive game where it might be, you know, 12-9, to 9, no team scores. It's just four to three field goals. I think, we don't want to see that, and but I also think that that is a possibility. But I think with both teams' offense going into this game, I think it'll be a high-scoring game if I was having to predict it. And, uh, I mean, that's all i got to say on that. Yeah, I think that game could make up for another game like Charlotte versus Memphis this year. It was a high-scoring overtime game, very entertaining for the fans. It actually won our fall superlative game of the year, despite not being a win for Charlotte. So that should be a good matchup on on December 18th at 2.30 at Jerry Richardson Stadium. You know, looking at the Charlotte Hornets this season, they're off to a 6-12 and record. A lot of injuries this year. Things haven't exactly gone their way, but what have you seen from the team? What have you liked? What have you not liked? Well, something I don't like is that they're, you know, 6-12, and 12, 12th in the Eastern Conference, you know, barely above the Bulls, Wizards, Pistons, you know, kind of bottom of the barrel right now. But I do like LaMelo Ball. He, you know, leads the team in three categories, those being points, assists, steals, you know, averaging above 24 points a game, eight assists. What I really like is, you know, the Duke native himself, Mark Williams. I think he's a rising talent. You know, he's averaging a double-double only in his sophomore season. And, you know, our best team stat is we're fourth in average points in the paint per game. But, you know, that's that's not really touching on much. You know, we've also had the most rebounds in a single game this season against the Wizards with 67. I mean, our first-round pick, Brandon Miller, he's been off to a decent start, 14 uh, points per game, four rebounds, you know. I'd like to see more out of this team. You know, 6-12, and 12, that's not going to satisfy your fans. That's going to push them away. You, you want to bring them in, not push them out, you know. And if we're going to touch on my opinion, if that's okay, I mean, I believe they have a solid young core with 
LaMelo and Mark Williams, Brandon Miller, P.J. Washington, but, you know, there's a few things I think they could fix, and one of that being they have some veteran talent that I think they could benefit from trading when it comes to how large, you know, we're talking when it comes to contracts. I mean, Gordon Hayward and Terry Rozier, I think they have, you know, too big of a contract for the production that they put into this team. I'm not saying they're bad players. I'm saying that I think the Hornets could really benefit by trading these two away and cash in on some, you know, younger talent. And if you want to touch on Miles Bridges, we I won't go too in-depth on that. I just think that get rid of them while you still have teams out there that are willing to take a chance on them. And, I mean, he has a lot of baggage and you don't want to have that on your team. But, you know, there's some teams that could use an uber-athletic forward like Miles Bridges. You know, so I'm thinking, I'm thinking, you know, get rid of a few players, bring in some younger talent you can develop, rebuild this team. You know, we're 6-12. and 12. I don't think we're going to, you know, be making the NBA Finals this year or anything crazy like that. And, you know, that's just my take on the whole thing. I think they have a promising young core, but 6-12, and 12, that's not going to satisfy your fan base by any means. You know, you touched on trading some of their veteran guys on larger contracts. You know, people have talked about trading Gordon Hayward for a couple of years now. They've been eating that salary this is their last year. Since it's only one year of that contract, you might be able to get a little more back for him than you would in years past these contenders. What would you? What would be your ideal package you'd get for him in a trade? Oh, let me think. I mean, the Hornets, they drafted Miller because they struggled last year to shoot the three ball. And, I mean, they have LaMelo Ball. They have Terry Rozier. Those are two decent three-point shooters. And Brandon Miller, I think, does improve that. But they, they're still struggling now. And I think they could really use people that complement LaMelo Ball. You know, if they give this guy the max extension, he's your star player. I mean, this is your franchise-tagged player by means. You need to build around him. I think Mark Williams, that's a key piece you don't want to mess with. But I think where we can improve is the small forward and the power forward position. And I'm not saying P.J. Washington doesn't, deserves to, doesn't deserve to be here. I just think there's better options out there. And, I mean, if we could get rid of Gordon Hayward and Terry and, you know, possibly package them, you're not going to be looking at anything crazy. But I think, you know, you might be able to land a – I might be talking out of my, you know, head right here, but – maybe like a Julius Randle. I mean, I don't know how his contract's looking, but that's maybe the type of player you could get with Rozier and Gordon Hayward because those are players that are, you know, towards not the end of their career, but, you know, they're definitely not at the beginning of it or in the middle of it. They're they're getting towards the end soon. So, I mean, I think they really need some younger talent because 6-12, and 12, that just kind of screams rebuild year to me. So, I think, you know, take what you can, try to improve the team where it needs improving, try to get better three-point shooters to improve that statistic, and I think you need better defensive players too and better inside scorers. I think the Hornets have a lot to work on, and I think their best chance is developing young talent, not getting more older veteran talent. When you look at the Hornets this season, you know, you can't, I feel like you say this every year, I feel like I'm saying this every week when you talk about injuries, just killers for them. LaMelo Ball being out for a while. How do you rebuild when your best player isn't available to improve and keep playing? I think on the bright side, you just got to do do what you can control. You know, if LaMelo's out, you know, someone's going to have to step up. And if you want to play 
Terry uh, at the one and let him facilitate, I think that could work. And I think now is the time to really turn to your young guns, see what Brandon Miller can do. Can he lead this team on his own? Like, what does that look like? Or what does Mark Williams look like being the forefront of this offense with with LaMelo out? Um, I mean, these are things that intrigue me. I I do want to see this. And I I do think LaMelo being out, it kind of puts this team in a shaky state, but it also gives this team, hey, we have something to prove. Our star player's out. What can we do without him? How, how good can we be without him? You never know. It might be one of those situations where they start playing better without LaMelo. That's kind of, we saw that with the Grizzlies and John Morant. They had a better record last season when he wasn't on the floor. And, you know, I'm not saying they're going to benefit without LaMelo Ball by any means. I'm just saying I'm curious to see what this Hornet squad can do without their star player. It's funny you mention that because when they played the Nets without him, they set NBA history. They shot 50% from the field, 58% from the three-point line, and 100% from the free-throw line. That's that's unheard of. First team in history. What surprised me about looking at that stat, without knowing the final score of the game, you think they would probably have blown the Nets out. They beat them by one point. So what does that say? You know, LaMelo is really good at facilitating the ball. Were turnovers a big problem with the team without him? Was that why that game was so close, even though they shot so efficiently? I think turnovers can always be an issue. You know, you got to be safe with the ball. And I think, yes, they won that game because of how good they played as a team, how well they shot as a team. And, yes, that's surprising. You know, they beat a team like New York without their star player. I just think it goes to show that LaMelo Ball is a great facilitator, and the game might have not have been as close if he was playing. But I think it also shows that, you know, you have a team – that's capable of winning these big games against a team like New York without your star player. I think that gives, you know, Charlotte some momentum just saying, hey, we just beat y'all on one of our best statistical performances of the year. Yes, we won by one point, but imagine if we had LaMelo Ball. It could have been a 20-point blowout. I mean, he's averaging 24-plus points this year and eight assists. You add that together, I mean, that, that could have been 30 extra points right there. So I think that just goes to show – the Hornets have talent. They have young talent. They just need some time. When you look across the NBA, you know the Celtics are leading the East. They're a half game up on the Bucks. Then the Magic are in third, which that's shocking to me. Another shocking thing in the West, the Minnesota Timberwolves are in first place. What team would you say is the biggest surprise to you this year, and what team do you think looks like the favorite to win it all this year? So favorite to win it all, still a little early, so I'll have to think on that for now. But – When it comes to some teams that have surprised me, I will say the Magic started off last year really, really well, like they are doing again this year. And I think if this Magic squad could stay healthy, they're going to surprise a lot of people. You know, me growing up a Duke fan, I'm super sold on uh, Paulo Boncaro. I think he's a great player. I told a lot of my friends here at the Niner Times when he was in college, I was like, hey, this guy's not the first pick in the draft. I mean, he's the most all-around NBA-ready player that was in college basketball in his season at Duke. So I'm, I think this Magic squad's great. They're young. They play well together as a team. They share the ball. They shoot well. I think the Magic, they're, they're a bunch of dogs. I think they could scare a lot of people out in the East, especially. I think the Celtics and the Bucks need to be scared of them, and they're not going away anytime soon. And I mean, taking a look out West... I'm kind of a Lakers fan myself, so it's kind of, you know, they're doing okay, but with 
is how much depth that Lakers squad has. I think that they should be doing even better than they are. I, you know, they've battled with some injuries. You know, Jackson Hayes, Jared Vanderbilt, Roy Hashimura have all been out. So, obviously, that reflects on their record as well. But I think the Lakers could surprise some people. Obviously, LeBron and Anthony Davis and even AR or AR-15 Austin Reeves in that conversation as well. You know, people aren't too surprised with their performances. They're star-level players, but the amount of depth that team has, I think they could go far, but you can't count out Minnesota. I think Anthony Edwards is one of the most talented scorers in the NBA, so I, I get why they're in first place. He's a he's a great leader on that squad. He's a great young player. And uh, another team that you know, might surprise people is I, I really like Sacramento. I think Sacramento never quits. Last year they surprised a lot of people, went down in the playoffs, but, you know, De'Aaron Fox, Sabonis, Malik Monk, those are three guys right there that they, you know, they play with their heart on their sleeve. They leave it all out on the floor, and I think that physicality is something a lot of other teams could use right now in the NBA. Yeah, I really like that you mentioned the Sacramento Kings. I feel like they're a very underrated team that plays really well together. And sometimes in the NBA, I feel like a lot of teams are just one guy and everybody else. We've seen that with Harden in years past, which Clippers are a mess. But as another Laker fan, they're always going to be second fiddle to the Lakers in their own place. But um, looking at the NFL, before we talk about um, the Panthers, there's been a lot of injuries this season, especially the quarterback position. What do you think can like be contributed to that? Do you think this shortened preseason period, you know, players not playing the preseason, do you think that plays a factor into this? Um, when it comes to preseason, I I do agree with like, you know, why you don't play your starters. You don't want them to, you know, get a season-ending injury in the preseason, but the one point I'll make against that, and we saw this happen this year. I mean, I wonder if things would have gone different for Aaron Rodgers if he got some more time on the field, you know, before he went down with the season-ending injury week one. And, you know, that's always going to be a huge what-if. Like, oh, what if he played game three preseason and got, you know, two series? And then in the final game of the preseason, what if he got, like, two full quarters or, you know, the whole first half? I I think that's a big what-if, but I do – understand and agree with you know sitting your star players during the preseason just because you know you want to be cautious and not have them get injured before the regular season starts but I do think you know that is a big what if what if these players and the star players did play more in the preseason would they be uh, healthier more prepared more conditioned and ready for the regular season I think that is a big what if sometimes and the injury totals this season have been ridiculous as a Bills fan are whole defense I feel like every week we drop two to three guys and somehow we're I'm not saying we're in the best position right now but we're our defense playing a lot better than they should be with the injuries but let's look at the local team the Carolina Panthers they're officially eliminated from playoff contention what have you seen what hasn't gone right for the team and what do you hope to see going forward this season for them to be able to have some building blocks as they look to next season Oh, so the Carolina Panthers, obviously, it's a touchy subject for, you know, Charlotte fans. And, you know, only one game this season where Bryce Young threw for more than two touchdowns. The offense isn't there. Do you blame it on the quarterback? I don't know. Do you blame it on the coordinator? I don't know. Do you blame it on the O-line? I don't know. You don't want to point fingers. There are some good 
that have come out of the bad this year. You know, offensively, we might be last in yards per play or 29th in points per game, but, you know, the defense looks promising. Yes, we've allowed, you know, big a lot of big plays as we're ranked second to last in touchdowns allowed per game, but, I mean, we're ranked seventh in total yards allowed per game. I don't know how those add up, but it shows that, you know, we have a defense that comes to play, and they're, they're trying their butts off every game to, you know, keep our offense in it, and it's just... It's hard to watch sometimes or sometimes just because being a Carolina fan, you want the Panthers to be able to put two and two together, both offensively and def- defensively, and the offense just hasn't been there this year. And, you know, I want to say there's some silver linings, but if you want me to be honest, I mean, there's nothing to look forward to next draft. There's no first round pick. And then in 2025, we gave up a second round pick. So, The Panthers are in a sticky situation. There's a lot to improve on offensively, defensively, everywhere. Coaching staff, honestly, the the whole franchise almost needs an entire reforming. And I think the Panthers also hold the stigma this year of they might have the biggest what-if of the NFL season. You know, this is a team that strategized and planned out a whole offense set around C.J. Stroud, and then at the last minute, you know, Test results came out, and they said, you know what? We're going to go with Bryce Young, and now we're 1-11. Yeah, I wonder, you know, looking back at last year's Panther team, they weren't the prettiest thing to watch, but they actually were in playoff contention. That offense under Sam Darnold looked really good. You know, everyone's talking about should they have taken Stroud over Young. I think, what if they didn't make that trade at all? You still have DJ Moore. You re-sign Sam Darnold, who's looked really good towards the end of the season. You get the right weapons around him. You have that ninth overall pick in the draft. What could they have been if they had just not risked it all and then changed their mind last minute with the quarterback in the draft? So, obviously, I I think that would have played out well for them. I mean, C.J. Stroud, he's a great player. You know, he's in the MVP race as a rookie. He's led this Texans team to – you know, some big wins this year. And I think if they didn't make that trade, I think they would have struggled this year. I think, you know, I'm not super sold on Sam Darnold as a quarterback, but no, you're right. He played better for them last year than Bryce Young's played all year. So it's just, it's hard to think of that just because all of this has already happened. But I do think if, you know, they didn't make that trade, just imagine if what quarterback they could have gotten in this year's draft. I mean, there's some good quarterbacks going into this year's draft, and, I mean, we could have gotten a receiver last year, could have gotten a running back. I mean, Miles Sanders isn't the best. We traded for him, and he's not even our leading rusher. So it's just it's a bad situation in Carolina. There's not a lot to look forward to. We're just hoping for the best, hoping for a rebuild year this year. You know, in the offseason, hopefully we're well prepared for next year. You know, last week me and Blake talked about it, you know, the new coaching staff. Bryce Young's going to have to learn a whole new playbook next year. What do you think that's going to play into his impact? And another thing, going back to what you talked about, defense ranking so good and yards given up, but then touchdowns. Do you think Bryce Young's turnover problem, which wasn't a problem coming out of college, do you think that plays a big impact there? Oh, 100%. I mean, when you watch Carolina's games, like they're, they have a strong defense, but yes, if you're turning the ball over, especially in enemy territory, 
there's no reason for them not to, you know, you're getting the ball in the you're 20. There's no reason for you not to punch it in. You're already in the red zone. You got, you know, three shots to get a first down, and if not, kick a field goal. It's a, what, 30-something yard field goal? That's easy points. So I do think, you know, Bryce Young is hurting this Panther defense statistically, throwing all these interceptions or, you know, fumbling the ball. It's just stupid turnovers are going to benefit the other team, and that's what we've seen all season for the Carolina Panthers. Um, so looking around the – NFL as a whole. Is there any team that really stands out to you as a favorite? I'm not a bandwagon by any means. I'm not a 49ers fan. But going into last weekend, I I really thought the Eagles were going to make a statement and put it on San Francisco, but boy, was I wrong. the, The script was totally flipped on my end. I mean, Debo Samuel, he he went absolutely crazy. Brock Purdy, I mean, he threw I mean, he had such a great game. I think four touchdowns. He was like 19 for 20-something. It was like 23 or 24. I mean, his completion percentage, he he's insane. I'm, I'm very high on the 49ers. I mean, they put it on the Eagles. They put it on the Cowboys. And I think they're going to continue to put it on any team they play. They come to play every game. And I'm really high on the 49ers right now. So looking at this weekend's games, who do you f- what do you feel like is the best matchup this week? I'm really got my eye on the Eagles and Cowboys uh, matchup. You know, the Cowboys 6-0 and at home, but, you know, they did lose last time in Philly to the Eagles. So I think both teams, it's a redemption game. You know, the Eagles just got embarrassed by San Fran, and the Cowboys are looking to extend their home streak to 7-0 and and also, you know, get their get back on Philadelphia. So I think that's a very important week for that division. I think the Eagles need – a win more than anything after their last performance, and they really want to keep that top spot in the division. And Dallas, I mean, Dak Prescott's having him one heck of a year. I mean, you can't count out the Cowboys, and they've got a great defense. So I think it's going to be a super interesting game. Yeah, another week where I let the guests pick the game first, so i got to pick the second favorite probably, but I'm biased in this one, so this is my favorite. The Bills take on the Chiefs this weekend in Arrowhead at 425 on Sunday. I think that game is really the make-or-break game of the season for the Bills. They've been up and down all season. Josh Allen's gotten a lot of bad press, which I think a lot of is unwarranted because a lot of the games he's lost, yeah, he might have some turnovers. But the defense just crumbles. They should have beat the Eagles. Doesn't happen. They had a lot of games where they should have won. He's had, I think, four touchdowns in the final two minutes of a game to give him a lead, and the defense gives it away. And I think when you look at the Chiefs, they're coming off of a really bad loss to the Packers. They're looking to rebound and prove that they are who they've been in years past. I think that makes for a really good matchup this Sunday. Bills have a little more to fight for than the Chiefs, I think. And I think if you look at the Bills, no, their backs are against the wall right now. They're six and six. Tough division, tough schedule moving forward. They get they have to go to the Chiefs, then they host the Cowboys. Go to the Chargers, who Chargers are a lot better team than their record shows. They just find ways to shoot themselves in the foot every chance they get. As a Bills fan, I hope that goes in our favor that weekend, but we're not we're doing that a little bit this year too. But 
Then we host the Patriots, which that's a rivalry game. Then go to the Dolphins in the year. I'm going to make my bold prediction here because I like a Cinderella story. I think everyone does a little bit. With the way the media was talking about Josh Allen and the Bills, if he pulls it off and wins out this this upcoming stretch and they make the playoffs, he's my vote for MVP. Oh, I, I do think that's a bold prediction, but I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, if you're winning out the rest of the season, what are they, 6-6 six and six right now? Yeah. yeah, if you're winning out the rest of the season and – you know, he's playing to his highest ability. I don't see why he shouldn't win MVP. And, I mean, I'll make an even bolder prediction. If they win out and make the make the playoffs, I think they have a really good shot of winning it all. And, I, I honestly, if they make the playoffs, I hope they do. I, I just don't want to see the Chiefs win again. And I, I'm just not the biggest supporter of the Kansas City Chiefs. I respect Patrick Mahomes, but, yes, I will never be a Chiefs fan a day in my life. Yeah, when you look at this season – Everyone's ripping the Bills. I know. I'm, I'm I'm going on my soapbox about the Bills. I'm kind of tired of hearing some of the negative stuff there. They've played really well this year. No one wants to give them credit. Josh Allen, yeah, turnovers are a bit high this year. But his touchdowns are ridiculously high. He's leading the league in touchdowns. And I think if you look at, like, Tua, I'm not trying to rip Tua here at all. But his interceptions aren't as high as Allen's, but his fumbles are right up there. Combined, he's having more turnovers. And Josh Allen doesn't have the duo of Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. He's got Stephon Diggs, but then Gabe Davis. I don't think sometimes Gabe Davis knows what route he's running. Okay, most of Josh Allen's targets when he's been th- throwing interceptions have been to Gabe Davis. He turns the wrong way, the ball hits him right in the hands. I'm I'm gonna get off my soapbox before I become one of those people. <laughs> but overall, I think that'd be a good matchup this weekend. Of course, Eagles Cowboys is a good one. But that's all we got for you today. Um, Thank you for listening. Uh, Mason, thanks for coming on today. Yeah, man, no problem. Thank you for having me. Um, Should be a good week of very little Charlotte sports, but two big matchups against ACC opponents. So hope everyone enjoys their holiday week and as they prep for exams and get ready for the holiday season. Thank you.